0: to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds and the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. I'm Serge Anson. Black and White and Thin Blue Lines is an original podcast co-created by Clark Ollers and me. Welcome to another episode of Black and White
1: and Thin Blue Lines. My name is Clark Ollers, And I'm Serge Antonin. And we have a very special guest this evening. Uh, My name is F.J. Collins. I'm a Baltimore lawyer. And he's also uh, my first cousin. My late mother, Catherine, who was known to everybody as Cass, is the sister of my first cousin F.J.'s late mother, Margaret, known as Marge and so um, uh
2: fj's been part of my family and i've been part of his family our entire lives that's right and and uh our mothers were the classic irish twins they actually went to the same class together all through school yeah born and less than a year apart and
1: i miss them both dearly it's um, oh yeah as as anybody who's listened knows i've um
0: it's life but God rest their souls. And allow me to make a keen observation before we begin. There is absolutely no uncanny resemblance between the two.
1: <laughs> well, but but, but Serge also noticed. Thank that goodness. That, <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> that's
2: right. But yeah.
1: Serge also noticed that FJ came in with a three-ring binder and said. <laughs> they're definitely cousins. Right. They're definitely cousins. <laughs> uh, our topic is a serious topic. It's the Attorney General's report on child sexual abuse in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. The original report by the Attorney General of Maryland was revised as recently as this week. The revisions really had to do with what names are included and what names aren't included in the uh, report, which is over 450 pages. Um, I have some strong opinions about it. I know Serge has some strong opinions about it. And I know that FJ has some strong opinions about it. At the outset, before we begin, none of us are defending child sexual abuse. So whatever whatever you comment we might have, critiquing or even criticizing the attorney general's effort in this case, it is not an endorsement of any
2: misconduct by anybody against a child. And I know I speak for the three of us. Absolutely, and, and, and not any sort of defense of the archdiocese for the way it handled itself. It, it did way too little, and it did it way too late. We're not at all defending what they did and how they conducted themselves. At the same time, uh, lots of
1: people, myself included, take issue with the report as it was written, and that's what we're going to discuss, and we're going to start with F.J.'s background why it's important to
2: him and what his thoughts are. Well, thank you, Clark. I am a lawyer in Baltimore. I am not like uh, you and well, you and and uh, <laughs> Serge both are involved in the in the criminal law. I don't do criminal law, but this particular um, report really raised some issues with me. I happen to be a Catholic. I'm a father of five and a grandfather of sixteen and uh, you know i was going through the re- through the report because i grew up in baltimore and i i had to see the report and i looked at it and i was i recognized so many of the names they were in my parish that sort of thing it really hit home to see these names and it was just so sad to read this but the problem with the report has been that the the attorney general wants to place all of the blame on the archdiocese instead of focusing on those individuals and all of the other people around at the time that did nothing about it and that were party to it um and it's so it was not just the archdiocese it's funny uh, i know of course my uh
1: FJ's father, my uncle, I know very well, and he's a very strong, masculine man. And I, my father, my late father John, was a strong, masculine man. And I was, I was an altar boy and a choir boy in some of the same parishes. By the way, St Dominic is where I went to first grade. Uh, I ultimately, I went to St Thomas More for grades two through um, seven. And then I went to Good Counsel High School, grades 8 through 12, which had Zaverian brothers. And I was a parishioner at St. Louis Saint uh, Louis in Clarksville. So I also had I'm very, very familiar. But I, I just think I should point this out. My personal experience is no priest ever approached me in such a fashion. And I actually think my personal belief is it has to do with the ability of some criminals to sense which child is the vulnerable child
2: yes and 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 it's interesting because i i have to say the attorney general's report makes that point repeatedly in the report how people were groomed and selected because they were uh weak or vulnerable in some way
0: maybe unpopular and that sort of thing and and i'm sure there was some truth to that do, do you even, also think that it's because you Guys had strong father figures. Well, what I want to, yes, actually I want to say, because uh, I think we need to be real clear, nothing
1: I'm doing and nothing FJ is doing is victim blaming at all. Some of these uh, children did not have a father, yes. did not have a, a strong parent to, honestly, to educate the child the way, Serge, I've heard you talk even on this podcast about educating your children mm-hmm. and the way I was brought
0: up. And protecting your children even when you're not there. Correct. Because if these people see that strong father every day and they know he's going to respond to whatever it is, they tend to want to take the path of least resistance, I in agree. my opinion. I <laughs> agree. Now, um, F.J.,
1: when you say that there were others that were responsible, why don't you tell
2: our audience what you mean by that? Sure, sure. And, and Serge, yes. uh, your your point is so well made, and but it goes – so deep into our society right now, mm. you you could spend months talking about the effects of the failure of fatherhood in the United States of yes. America right now. But let's move on to the kind of the more narrow topic we're talking about here. And so when I was reading the report and I, I have it in front of me, I, that's the three ring binder. I'm cheating there because it is a big thick <laughs> binder. It's 456 pages with a few addenda and so forth. And, and it sounds like such a great thing that the attorney general did to produce this large report and did do this investigation. But the reality is I really take issue with the attorney general calling it an a report or even an, or more importantly, an investigation. It really didn't do a real investigation. And the attorney general sends out subpoenas and calls a grand jury and doesn't charge anybody with crimes. It identifies hundreds or 150 some odd bad actors and only charges one person with a crime. And it was a political piece. That's what this report is. It's a political piece rather than a true investigation. The attorney general is supposed to investigate crime and then charge people with crimes. I mean, Generally, that's really the state's attorney, but in this particular scenario, the attorney general was given the authority to do this, but it didn't really do an investigation. It was really just a hit piece on the archdiocese, and it ignored all of the other people surrounding the archdiocese at the times that we're talking about here and their responsibility. I mean— Attorney General lists all of the successive archbishops in the in, in Baltimore, and blames and, and and kind of identifies the period that he's talking about is from like 1940 until 20 uh, 2002 is the period of time that he's talking about, and we'll come back to that 2002 and when, date. In when a minute. you say who,
1: you mean Attorney General Anthony Brown?
2: I yeah, see. and I think that this this started before Anthony Brown with Brian Frosch. right? Right. Um, is when this thing, when this invest, so-called investigation began, and Anthony Brown put the finishing touches on it. But in the report, they list all of the arch, archbishops um, that have been in charge of the Catholic Church in Baltimore since the 1940s. Um, and I would say you need to list all of the attorneys general as well, just during the same period of time. So really, the the most critical period of time reported in the in this report is let's take it from like 1970 to the present, which is, you know, 52, 53 years, right? So during that time, we had Anthony Brown, Brian Frosch, Douglas Gansler, J. Joseph Curran, Stephen Sachs, Francis Birch. Why weren't they reported in here about where they dropped the ball? And just as importantly, you take, for example, in Baltimore City, who who enforces the law? That's this, that's the state's attorney, right? The criminal criminal law.
0: It's supposed to be the
2: It's supposed attorney. to be the state's attorney. Well, you know, people were reporting crimes, and and so during that period of time, it's Marilyn Mosby, Greg Bernstein, Patricia Jessamy, Stuart Sims, Kurt Schmoke, William Swisher. Milton Allen, and they were all the attorney uh, the state's attorneys during that same period of time where were they and why aren't they listed as people who dropped the ball that so that to me that's a huge issue this whole system wasn't picking up on this if you look throughout the report they talk about how many times victims or or you know uh, people young men and young ladies who were being abused reported things I don't think and it's fair. Nobody fair to did us anything to, about it.
0: I don't think it's fair to us to even call it a system, FJ. <laughs> no, that's,
2: yeah, we were talking about that before <laughs> yes. we started. Clark calls it the <laughs> the non-system, the judicial non-system.
0: Absolutely,
1: no criminal justice non-criminal
2: criminal justice non-system. L- okay. Let me
1: ask something,
2: uh, FJ, about the report. Subpoenas were issued ad nauseum to records of the Catholic Church. Is that accurate? Uh, Uh, Ad nauseum is probably an overstatement. I think they only sent a few. Uh,
0: Oh, okay.
2: um, That was my understanding. The way it's written in the report, it was only a few subpoenas that took a long time for the Catholic Church, the Archdiocese, I should say, Archdiocese of Baltimore to be precise, for the Archdiocese of Baltimore to properly respond to those because they had to go through all sorts of files and find this stuff and so forth.
1: Actually, I did use the wrong word I meant I shouldn't have said subpoenas ad nauseum. I should have said they sought a wide expanse of records.
2: They did. And uh, they they basically forced the archdiocese to open up all of its files on all of its personnel and find any cases of alleged uh, child abuse.
1: So did they do the same thing? Did the grand jury issue a subpoena to the... Maryland State Police, the Baltimore Police Department, the Baltimore County Police mm. Department
2: for their records. Absolutely not. And that's what that is the the narrowness of this report that is really bothering me because th- they were given all sorts of reports too and why is why aren't they being publicly shamed as the Attorney General is planning to do with this? Why aren't they being publicly shamed as well? There's something called a runaway grand jury. The term refers to when a
1: grand jury who typically takes its lead from a prosecutor who's addressing the grand jury realizes they have power independent of the prosecutor. I would love to have been on this grand jury and started a runaway grand jury where I started issuing grand jury subpoenas for all the attorney general's records. For this same period of time and all the Baltimore Police Department's records and all the state police records and so forth.
0: Now, do you think either of you think this is for obvious reasons? (laughs) You mean uh, that they didn't look beyond the archdiocese? Absolutely. Of course it
2: is, because they're part of that system. Mm -hmm. And like I say, this was this was a political piece and it was really not. A true investigation of crime. Had it been a true investigation of crime, then they would have done something about it. They did nothing with this except issue this report, and it it has two... I'll I'll jump to the end for just a second here. If you go to the end of the report, it only has two basic recommendations. One is to change the statute of limitations (laughs) so that the archdiocese can be sued, and the other is to publicly shame people. And it says that. They call it expand public accountability. Publicly shame. (laughs) That's what it means. And if you're talking about true expanding public accountability, what about the prosecutors, the police officers? What about the judges? I mean, there are some judges that are mentioned in here who were kind of doing backroom deals on this. What about them? And... What about the whole, you know, getting those records? And frankly, one of the entities that is the most at fault is the Maryland legislature. Let me just pick up on something F.J. said about the statute
1: of limitations. It, for the kind of non-lawyer who hears expand the statute of limitations so that people can sue for what was done to them 25 years ago, it might, it might sound like justice. The problem is that the person on the other side of that, it'd be very easy for me to to defend against an accusation that I abused somebody in the last 12 months because I could put together a pretty a pretty accurate account using Alibis phone records. Well, yeah, just yeah. to, to mm-hmm. put together an account of what I was doing, where I was, who might have witnessed it, all those things. This Credit card receipts showing correct. where you were. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah. All sorts of things. If you go back 25 years, it's incredible. And I've defended people accused of murders that occurred 17 years before the indictment. It's incredible. First of all, a lot of people pass away in that yes. time or move away and aren't literally beyond the power of the court to bring them back. And forget. Yes. So, there's, so that's the first problem. But the second thing I want to say is this. If you want to... Hold the Catholic or the Archdiocese of Baltimore responsible by expanding the statute of limitations. How about doing this, Mr. General Assembly?
2: How about waiving governmental immunity? That's exactly right. That's, That's exactly what I'm thinking here. Why just put this at the feet of the Archdiocese if these people are so bad and if these victims deserve compensation, which they do, by the way? Why are we limiting it just to the archdiocese? Because there were a lot of other people. Because to be clear, the report is talking about basically two things, about how much child abuse went on and then the cover-up. It's mm-hmm. always about the cover-up, right? Yes. And, and so that is, that's really the heart of the archdiocese uh, liability, because there's no doubt that there were people in power at the archdiocese who would hear about allegations and then just move a priest or some clergy member, or you just move them from one to another and you don't warn people, hey, uh, this guy's got issues, they just moved them. And it was a big cover-up. And and um, I remember back when I was a kid, you'd hear people in the church talking, well, we don't want to cause scandal. Well, thank God we've gotten past that <laughs> that idea. You know, um, You do want to cause scandal if there's a scandal. Right. Um, But, you know, so, you know, but but so it's it's that cover up part that bothers me that in the report. And that's what the report is really all about. And that is why the Maryland legislature expanded the statute of limitations, because there was a cover up. And the judge who was ruling on releasing this report made the point that it was some of what the church did by covering up, prevented people from bringing cases within the statute of limitations so that it made sense to expand the time for the statute of limitations. Well, before
1: we get off the statute of limitations, my first point is that if you want to expand the statute of limitations for victims having the right to sue the Archdiocese of Baltimore, and there's a strong public policy in favor of that, I understand. Maybe you could figure out a way to balance the right of the accused against that, but Expand the statute of limitations for suing police officers and expand the statute of limitation for suing other government officials. But more than that, the Archdiocese of Baltimore has no immunity. In other words, they can't hide behind. Well, we're we're Catholic, you can't sue us. Yes. The government hides behind literally, you cannot sue the government in most situations. They have uh, constitutional and statutory immunities. That's the first point I want to make. The second point I want to make is this. I understand how they say the cover-up, the cover-up here is so bad. Of course the cover-up is bad. A cover-up is a, is a situation where somebody affirmatively does not take action aware of the of what should be done. One of the problems with government, though, is that not only can we not sue the government, and not only does the government cover things up, just like the Archdiocese of Baltimore, the government's constantly covering things up. But the final thing is you typically cannot sue the government for its incompetence.
0: And it, that's a big issue.
1: Well, it's huge. In other yes. words, it to, to the extent that Reports were made. First of all, a lot of people didn't just
2: report this to the archdiocese, I assume. Correct, F.J.? Oh, yeah. And that 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 was one of the things about the the archdiocese. It had a mindset or a policy that if the accuser was an adult at the time they brought the allegations forward, they didn't do anything with it. They didn't report it to authorities. And their mindset was, well, he's an adult. She's an adult go to the police and report it. But before we kind of blame the archdiocese for that, I think there's a logic to that, F.J.
1: There is. Right. In other words, if I'm if I'm a 20-year-old person complaining to the archdiocese that I was abused by a priest, presumably I have the ability at 20 years old to drive to the police station now, or pick up the Now, abused
0: at 20 or abused until you're No, no, abused as a child. Okay, gotcha, but the,
1: gotcha. Is that what you're talking about, F.J.? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. okay. But the point is the 20-year-old, unlike the 12-year-old, has options. And so I, although the attorney general found it so awful, I frankly, you know, I I don't know that I find it all that awful. Meaning you're an adult. If you want to complain to the police, complain to the police. not my job to complain
0: to the police on your behalf. I kind of disagree with that. Why? Because you can't discount the trauma in the 20-year-old if he's been abused since he was 12 or eight. So I think in that case, they've got to be treated differently. Well,
1: okay. But I will say, Serge, what you're doing though is assuming the truth of the report. And I'm not, in other words, I'm saying, I start from a neutral. I I just end in life to start from neutral. And if you're 20 years, 20 years of age and the trauma is, not bad enough to keep you from reporting it to the alleged abuser, the
0: uh-huh.
1: you know, the archdiocese, the representative of the abuser. But it's kind of like what the Stockholm syndrome. Maybe it they... okay, may be, Serge. You might have a perfectly valid point. I'm I just saying I why, why I point. why I would <laughs> why I would tell the 20 year old
0: go. I, I, yeah, I mean, well, I, I
2: just... this is this was actually this issue was kind of enshrined in the law at the time, actually, uh. because what happened is in 2002, I believe it was. The attorney general's office issued a report and said that the mandatory reporting requirements for right. child abuse right. apply also even when the accuser is, is an adult. And that was when the attorney general first issued an, an attorney general's opinion to that effect. And that's, when the, that's the, about the same time that the archdiocese started reporting that situation to occur. Um, you know, one thing I did, Clark, is I jumped in a little bit too quickly on this without kind of giving our, your listeners an idea of where they can do some of their own reading and research on this. Well, um, please tell us. And, well, the attorney general's report, just so you know, it, it is publicly available right on the Internet. It's very easy if you just put in Google or whatever your search engine is, you know, attorney general of Maryland's report on child sexual abuse in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, it will come right up. One of the things that bothered me also about the report is some of the inflammatory language used by the attorney general describing the extent of the abuse. Look, one one piece of a child abuse is horrible, all right? So don't get me wrong about that. But what they describe in their words is, they use the words pervasive and persistent. Then they use another expression, staggering pervasiveness. Then they talk about the absolute power of priests. And then they talk about the scope and scale of abuse and concealment perpetrated by the archdiocese. So those I find to be very inflammatory and very accusatory words when in fact the reality is that during this 60-year period or whatever period you want to look at, The vast majority, vast, vast, vast majority of those of the priests in the Catholic Church and the teachers in the schools, and the lay people, and the secretaries in the office, all of those people were very, very good people who had very good intentions. And so to call it pervasive and persistent really bothers me. You know, one of why is that occurring here? Why is the archdiocese being picked on, so to speak? Why is it being picked out as the bad guy here? Well, number one, because it did some bad things. It definitely had some employees and clergy and so forth that were doing bad things. But the reality is why is because it's got deep pockets. It's a large organization. It's got lots of property and it can – it can it has money to pay – Whereas many other churches and organizations don't. So if you take a Protestant church, most of them are independent corporations. If they're sued, that's all you get. That's all the deep pockets there are is that one church sitting out on that country road somewhere. (laughs) Um, But the Catholic church is top down, and I believe that legally— The archdiocese is essentially the owner of all of those churches, all of that real estate, all of those schools, all of those buildings, and that's why it's got deep pockets. But to call it pervasive and persistent is a real troublesome to me, and and especially because it just is so discouraging to the good people in the church to— you know, it just gives a bad name to everybody. I, I certainly wouldn't want to be a priest in today's world because
0: this is the impression everybody has, right? And Well, it's, it's just it's like terrible. in the world of policing, kind of. Right. Yeah, they, sure. To, to shake – because these things are foundations of our society. Think about it, police, uh, the church. So if you completely shake them and take away people's belief system – what do you have you have a, a it's it's anarchy pretty much no you well, know separate church from schools you got the well before we get to that yeah
1: well, i want to destroy draw a distinction first of all i think many extremists on the left do seek to destroy police and church and so forth but in this case it's the government destroying the belief in the religious system the archdiocese of baltimore and the point i want to make is i really believe and this is going to sound like perhaps some
0: of our listeners will think i'm the extremist here you sound like you have a real axe to grind against this government thing (laughs) i
1: i do in a sense
0: (laughs) i actually think that the government in
1: large in our country seeks to destroy religion because religion is an alternative source of authority for Uh, many moral people meaning that you say this is moral or immoral and therefore i will or will not do it for example people who said i will not fight in the vietnam war because it's uh against my religious principles it's like immoral. muhammad ali yeah absolutely one of my personal heroes i've got a, mm-hmm. as you know i've got a picture of him in my office yeah, yeah. well the the point being that i think it's very easy for the attorney general in fact i think it it uh F.J. kind of marries your point about they don't point the finger at anybody in the government in this entire report. Mm -hmm. It's all about pointing the finger at the religious institution so that ultimately we we say in a not so subtle way or we're persuaded to think in a not so subtle way that I should have my confidence and faith in the attorney general of Maryland and not in the archbishop. Does that make
2: sense, F.J.? Absolutely. And there certainly in the last Number of years, there has been an attack on religion, and it's a terrible shame. You know, you can get in – again, this is kind of getting in way deeper into the societal things like we were doing earlier there about uh, the lack of fatherhood in this. There's no doubt that that is a a wave that has been um, going across this country for the last 20, 30, 40 years. No doubt about
0: it. Now, I'm not hugely religified, but (laughs) – I do believe that religion definitely. Hold on, has hold on a just a
1: second. F, let's you and I say a quick prayer for Serge. <laughs> okay. Amen. Okay, go ahead, Serge.
0: Uh, like for instance, my kids are in Catholic schools. I know that. I think in love Catholic that. School. I love that. I think it's so funny. Say why? Well, because I like the structure. No question. But here's the thing. Like I tell my daughter all the time. Daddy believes in God. It's good to be spiritual, but you don't follow any man. And if someone says something to you that you're uncomfortable with, you come right to daddy. And my son's only four, but he gets the same talk. And one of the things you you said that I liked was the government doesn't want you kneeling to anyone but the government. And that's a big reason I think they want to shake the core. But when it comes to child abuse, I don't think there's anything more abhorrent, in my opinion, than abusing a child because that goes on for generations as it's been proven. So, it, I've govern- represented a number of child abusers
1: and virtually to a defendant, they were themselves the victims of child abuse. Absolutely. And I think that's what you're referring to Yes, absolutely. generational. I think so, there's something
0: to that. For the government to kind of be able to hide behind, we are the government, you know, it's just that. It, it, but we say it all the time the government does not protect us and keep us safe, no matter how much they preach it and get up and 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 beat the podium. Whoever is the arm, you know, the I, I want to go even more basic,
1: then we'll get uh, okay, get back to FJ on this. Th-
0: Cut me off. Okay. No, no, yeah, I sure. know I'm cutting you off in That's a right. sense, yeah. but I
1: want to point something out. Even the idea that the government uh, wants to be the authority, to me, misses the whole constitutional point of our way of government. We, the people, ordain and give power to the government. The government doesn't bless me and give me my freedom. We, free people, elect our government. I just think it's upside down. In now.
0: theory, you are correct. Right. But in practice we often see oh, I, That's not the case. No, I get it. I don't know, I don't have an army. No. <laughs>
1: so, FJ continue that well,
2: cuz you had I do want to so I many... do want to be a little bit fair anyway. Uh, and that is at footnote 28 in small type. The report on page 9 says, "While this investigation has focused on the archdiocese, it is also evident In the response by police and prosecutors that in many instances, they were deferential to the church and uninterested in probing what church leaders knew and when. So they – in one little footnote, the uh, the attorney general does acknowledge that the police and prosecutors – were somewhat complicit in this, so you but, know, but, you, you kind of said it doesn't say anything. But no, you know, what, it has one footnote.
1: But what <laughs> they do by the word, by the use of the word deferential, is they imply the power of the church or the importance of the church, and that these police officers and others were, uh, in effect, respecting that power, having been a police officer and having defended so many officers and other people over the years. I actually think that misses the point a little bit because the biggest problem in law enforcement, in in my judgment, is indifference. Not that they defer to authority, but they're just indifferent. The complainants walk – you see case after case where people have successfully now proven they were the victims of crime where the police had written it off as a false report. Mm -hmm. Right, Mm
2: -hmm. Totally. Yeah, let's go back for a second to this statute of limitations you mentioned it and um I, what the what the report kind of brings out is that for many years sex abuse wasn't even a defined child sex abuse wasn't even defined as a crime in and of itself the attorney general goes through the process of actually kind of giving somewhat the history of that and and not being a criminal defense attorney or prosecutor I am not a, a good student of the history of these laws. But as the attorney general wants you to believe in this report, is it basically wasn't a crime or it wasn't a serious crime at the time that these events occurred. Now, obviously, rape has been a crime for many, many years. So, But things short of rape, he thought, well, the reason they didn't get prosecuted was because they were misdemeanor- misdemeanors at the time and therefore there was a statute of limitations that protected the abusers well i say to that why aren't you pointing the finger at the the general assembly at the time like wait a minute no question you'd have to believe that none of the elected officials in maryland had heard a
1: story about misdemeanor sex offenses being uh, perpetrated upon children that couldn't be prosecuted because they were outside of the one-year statute limitations
2: at the time for misdemeanors in Maryland.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's
2: absurd. Why wasn't there just every cop, every prosecutor, every attorney general running down the legislature and say, this is crazy. What are we doing here? Continue, uh, F. Well— you know, I'm going to go out on a real limb here. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, and, you know, you said we're not going to blame the victims. And, and of course, number one, that's politically incorrect, but it's also just the wrong thing to do. But there is a certain level of fault there. Not, not that I'm blaming the victims at all, but rather there the, – the attorney general does a good job of laying out in the report about how – Many people don't report this, and how late in life they finally start admitting it. I think he says something along the lines of it's not until the average age of fifty three that some of these allegations come out or that people are willing to start talking about this on average so that that goes to kind of the the human side of it, where people who are you know who were abused don't want to talk about it, want to cover it up, and so forth, and eventually they get a guess i guess they get enough maturity to say wait a minute i was it's not my fault so I'll, I'll talk about it but part of the problem is that these things were not talked about for so long and that is the whole point of a statute of limitations is that people can't defend themselves and then when something comes out 50 years after the fact how is the accused supposed to get any sort of due process
0: well you You can't discount the shame and fear that a child feels. So I get what you're saying. But in when you're talking about a crime like this, it's not like you just got punched in the face and you're like, hey, you know what? When I was in second grade, uh, this guy punched me in the face. You know what I mean? It's like to me. I I agree kind of both sides here because. I understand now the accused can't really mount a defense. However, where there's smoke, there's fire. So if the accused has been accused multiple times, I don't really care so much about his due process. (laughs) (coughs) I mean, call it what you want to call it. But when you're talking about child abuse, this is something that can't be taken lightly because, like I said earlier... (laughs) <laughs> it affects generations fj
2: totally i completely agree with that and 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 i completely sympathize with those people who didn't want to report it mm-hmm. and um you know but it, but part of the problem is that because they didn't report it there was all of these all this time passes and it makes it very difficult to really get to the truth we don't want anybody to be um called or convicted of child abuse if they're innocent.
0: This is true. Right. Because I don't think there's anything worse right. you can be accused of yeah, you and can call be innocent. Me a, you can call me a murderer before yeah. I'll let you call me a child abuser. I mean, hey, right? I, some right. people might right. think that's kind of cool. How many people have you killed, FJ? <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> right. once you, you've you been called a child abuser, I mean, that's just... Phew. Actually, I think there's a politicalization to the whole ac- accuse,
1: uh the process of accusation now. Where, for example, many feminist groups talk about you must believe the victim. Right. Mm -hmm. And I find it so interesting. First of all, I don't believe that's logically accurate, meaning I don't think I have to believe anybody. If a scientist wants to tell me the weather is changing because of man and carbon, well, I think I should be able to read the report and assess it myself. And I think the same thing about victims. But I find it so interesting we're supposed to believe the victim unless the victim accuses somebody who's politically very popular. <laughs> then all of a sudden the press destroys the reputation of, of the, the accuser. Yep. Right. I mean really we see that pattern again and again. Yep. So right now, one of the reasons the I think these this report was that was undertaken by Frosch, I really think the Catholic Church is an easy target these days. Meaning the the we we see it, for example, with the um uh, Letter of the FBI saying that Catholics who attend Latin mass represent extreme terrorists. Merrick Garland had trouble denying to answer when he was asked by a congressman, do you believe that to be true, yes or no? Merrick Garland hesitated. That's insane. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it's that crazy. He wouldn't hesitate except the Catholic Church is an easy target these days.
2: You know, one of the things that they love to point the Catholic Church as having failed in doing is investigating these allegations. They talk about, well, you, you found out about this one allegation, but you didn't do any further investigation to see if there were any others. That's a continuing theme throughout this 453-page report. Well, hang on. The Catholic Church is not an investigatory body. That's what the police and the state's attorney's Amen. office is for. Honestly, that's
1: why if I were on that grand jury, it would have been a runaway grand jury, because I'd have said— what do we know about things like, and just go really more recent, in Baltimore, the Gun Trace Task Force, where hundreds of complaints were made about misconduct by the police to the police, yes. and the police didn't investigate. F.J., what's your next point?
2: Well, one, one interesting aspect of this whole report is that the attorney general has essentially washed his hands of the crimes and sent the litigants to civil court. And I'll ask F.J. and our
1: listeners to hold that thought until next week when we resume part two of this two-part podcast on the Attorney General's report on child sexual abuse in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. But life is never easy. There's work to be done and obligations to be met, obligations to truth, to justice and a liberty. This podcast is the copyrighted property of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines Incorporated, a Maryland corporation. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the written permission of the owner is prohibited. For more information, we invite you to visit the website blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com. All of the words in the URL address use common spelling, and are typed together with no spaces. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and we welcome your remarks through email. The email addresses of the co-creators, Serge Antonin and Clark Ollers, may be found on the website.